sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Well, I'm Pauline Weldon Bowen. I'm a proud Wiradjuri woman. Um, my people are from Cowra, which is the central west region of New South Wales. And my dad's people are from the Bidjigal people of La Perouse, which is the southeast of Sydney CBD. Um, firstly, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respects to elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in their continued connection to culture, country, language and community. And we're very lucky to have Pauline as our Reconciliation Action Plan Project Officer at Speech Pathology Australia at the moment. I'm Corrie Williams. I'm Senior Advisor, Evidence-Based Practice and Research for Speech Pathology Australia, but I work also with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Advisory Committee and the Reconciliation Action Plan Working Group. Pauline and I have been talking about this podcast for a little while and so that we could do a good job of it, we did some research. This was a learning experience for mm. both of us um, and we'd like to share a little bit of that learning with you now. I guess we might start by talking a bit about the term NAIDOC and what it means. So I guess, Corey, you know, it... It all started back in, uh, I think it was around the 1930s. Um, there was a, a day called the National Aboriginal Day, which was held on the second Sunday of July. Um, and essentially it was held on the Sunday um, because Aboriginal people back then were very much invested in in the Catholic Church. Um, and my grandmother tells me that you know, they, in the morning they would march and in the afternoon or in the evening they would have a ball. Um, it wasn't until I think around 1950, 56, um, that there were major Aboriginal organisations along with um, the government and, you know, small church groups that were in favour of um, what we now have as NAIDOC week, but back then it was just a, a day um, and it stood for the National Aborigines Day Observance Committee um, without the I. Um, and at the same time, a day of, you know, the uh, remembrance for Aboriginal people and their heritage um, was around then and it wasn't until I think the 1970s or 1974 um, that the Department of Aboriginal Affairs was formed. Um, and then I think later on in 1990s, they then decided to expand NAIDOC to include um, Islander people and their culture 
And that's where the eye comes in. So now it's the National Aborigines and Islanders Day Observance Committee. So I guess, Corey, you know, um, for what NAIDOC stands for um, all those years ago when it was created, they considered Aboriginal people as Aborigines. And don't get me wrong, a lot of Aboriginal people did too. That's just how it, how it was. Um, and I guess, you know, from our, our research before doing this podcast, we had to figure out whether it was still considered NAIDOC without the eye. Um, and I, you know, we, we got some guidance from my grandmother that it, it wasn't any different. It just meant that, you know, we concluded that uh, we included our, um, our Islander brothers and sisters. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting reading about the history of NAIDOC Week and where it all started. So we thought we'd provide you with a link or a direction to the website, the NAIDOC website, where you can go and read a bit more about the history. We've only been able to give you a little tiny flavour of it at the moment. Yeah, and I guess, Corey, when you compare, um, you know, the two the two weeks that Aboriginal people um, surround themselves with within the year, you know, NAIDOC week and Reconciliation week, you're looking at one that's Reconciliation week, a time that can be quite somewhat draining for Aboriginal people. And I guess a lot of organisations depend on their Aboriginal staff to suddenly become the experts for the week and to educate everyone. Um, but I think really that's the wrong way to go about it because Reconciliation Week shouldn't be about Aboriginal people teaching non-Indigenous people um, about the history of Australia. It should actually be a cohesive thing and for non-Indigenous people to take the initiative to learn about the hard truths. And I think until we acknowledge the reality of our history, um, we're not going to be able to make a difference and I don't think that reconciliation will happen. And then you have NAIDOC week, that's a time of celebration and it's a time to broadcast everywhere about um, the glorious things of being Aboriginal and whether that's within sport, whether that's being um, an elder of the year, a young person of the year and whatnot. You know, it is a time for Aboriginal people to celebrate um, whilst there are marches that happen, um, similar to back in the 1930s, um, the end of the week is quite a big celebration and, um, you know, that's the, the National NAIDOC Ball, which is so fun. It's so fun and each year it changes with the theme and um, it changes where it's going to be. I mean, it's been in Sydney, it's been in Perth, it's been in Queensland, Melbourne everywhere next year it's like oh this year now that it's postponed it'll be next year but that will be in Alice Springs so that should be fun yeah and the theme for this year is a really exciting and interesting theme I think always was always will be and I believe that that phrase has lots of meaning for you personally it does Corey really does I mean uh you know for me and for all of my days, every protest that I've attended, every T-shirt that I've worn, 
I was always so proud to join in to all chants and say that it was always, was, always will be Aboriginal land. And that emphasises and acknowledges that Aboriginal people, you know, my people have cared for this land for well over 65,000 years. And I carry such a strong line of matriarchal blood. And, you know, Aboriginal people always have been and always will be spiritually and culturally connected to this land. I mean, you only have to look at the language maps and you will see hundreds of nations and our cultures covering the nation. And it's such a beautiful thing to see, to think that all those years ago we were a race that they tried to kill out. But it's more beautiful to know for me that my ancestors fought that fight so that I can walk this land and raise my son to be strong in who he is. You know, we haven't lost our identity. We've lost a, a lot of it. Um, but I'm still very strong in who I am. And I'll teach my son that, that same strength and resilience, you know, to be strong in who he is, to know not only my side, but his dad's side of, you know, um, the people of Bree Warrener, which is New South Wales. Um, and I guess, you know, this theme for NAIDOC 2020, it, it invites all Australians to embrace the true history of this country and a history that dates back to thousands of generations. So it is very touching. And it's not just your distant ancestors that have been activists and very mm -hmm. important people. You have some memories that we talked about. <laughs> so the tent embassy, for example, mm. people may not be aware of the tent embassy yeah well I guess you know especially for this theme Corey always was always will be we need to recognize that our sovereignty was never ceded and I guess I want to emphasize that because we as Aboriginal people are the sovereign owners of this land and still to this day in 2020 we still don't have a treaty and we're one of the only countries in the world that don't have a treaty and I look back to when, you know, the likes of my Uncle Billy Craigie or Uncle Bertie Williams, you know, alongside of others like my um, Uncle Paul Coe, when they formed the Tent Embassy, which is basically a tent um, that they set up on Capitol Hill outside Parliament House on a very cold Monday night. January 26, 1972, and they said they would not move until the government agreed to introduce a bill of Aboriginal land rights. And all these years later in 2020, you know, we're still waiting. And they're still there. <laughs> so, you know, it's a very remarkable thing. Um, and I'm very proud of who I come from, Corey. You know, I do have big shoes to fill. Um, and I guess that takes me to, you know, my Julia Gillard story and, you know, the 40th anniversary of the Tent Embassy, which was the 26th of January 2012. On Australia Day, Survival Day, Invasion Day, whatever you call it, you know, where they hold a festival outside of Parliament House, well, actually Old Parliament House. And we marched and we all got word that... Um, there was an Australia Day award ceremony taking place in a restaurant. 
So we decided to march there. And we call Julia Gillard, Julia Cinderella Gillard, because as we arrived, her car arrived too. And she had to go inside to the likes of Tony Abbott and everyone else in parliament that were present there that day. And she, God bless her. She, she would have been so frightened. She um, had to run with her security from the car into the restaurant and she lost her shoe. <laughs> and we picked up the shoe and it was just this great moment where we all took photo of Julie Gillard's shoe. But I still, I look back and I just think that's such a, a memory that I remember about marching and just a funny moment, you know, in a very serious context. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you were all of 16 years old at that stage, I believe. Yeah, 16, 17, yeah. <laughs> it's a great story. It is. It's a great story and a disturbing story as well, given that um, there still is not a treaty. Mm. I think. So can we move now to think about Speech Pathology Australia and NAIDOC Week and how members, Speech Pathology Australia members, might become involved in NAIDOC Week and beyond NAIDOC Week? Mm. I guess, Corey, you know, um, NAIDOC Week is a time to celebrate and probably a really good time to build strong connections. I mean, you know, you have your major events for NAIDOC week, especially the NAIDOC ball that everyone looks forward to, but underneath that there are, um, you know, your, your local Aboriginal land council, your local AMS um, that holds smaller community events that you can tap into and, and be a part of and attend festivals within your local, your local city. Um, and it's about building positive relationships, not only during NAIDOC week, but outside of it as well. And ensuring that, you know, we, um, we connect with the right people and especially connecting with the right services that we practice in, um, to ensure that we are being guarded appropriately and respectfully by Aboriginal, you know, um, community members and especially Aboriginal families that we do work with. Because, I mean, you know, there, there's so many health um, complexities for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, and the access and the equity um, is varied across Australia and it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. So I think relationship building is very key um, and ensuring that, you know, respect and having that family at the forefront of all conversations and planning um, is most essential. Mm. Yeah, so putting the family and the community first from the outset of any service that you're offering, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. This has been such an interesting thing for us to discuss, and we have talked about it quite a bit before recording this podcast. 
I guess we'll probably keep talking about it. <laughs> and I think, I think that's really important. So mm. talking with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples from a position, from a humble position, I guess, is what I want to say, um, recognising that as non-Aboriginal people, we really cannot understand the lived experience of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And we need to see reconciliation as a long-term aspiration for all of us. Yeah, definitely, Corey. And I think whilst we may not be able to celebrate together physically in 2020, um, you know, the NAIDOC website have beautiful, a very beautiful artwork um, and leading up to the 8th of November, you can print out um, the artwork and, and display it within your workplace and, and whatnot and um, do something, just do something in NAIDOC week to celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and connect. Yeah. And it really is a celebration, isn't it? Yes, we are the oldest living culture in the world, Corey. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Thank you so much, Pauline. I have loved this. We both encourage you to have a look at the NAIDOC Week website, read more about the history of NAIDOC Week, look at the photos, look at the artwork, just become involved. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.